Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey everybody, welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today I am so honored to introduce to you Dr. William Hasseltine. He has dedicated his life to healing as many people as possible through science. He was a professor at Harvard Medical School where he developed and helped find cures for diseases such as cancer and HIV AIDS. He led the team that pioneered the development of new drugs based on information from the human genome and created more than a dozen biotechnology companies and influenced public policy at the highest levels. He's built two foundations, one to foster collaboration between the arts and sciences and another Access Health International to advise governments worldwide on how to bring high quality, affordable health care to all. In 2001, Time Magazine named him one of the 25 most influential global business executives. And in 2015, Scientific American named him one of the 100 most influential leaders in biotechnology. And I want to name you number one in my mind as one of the best authors for science for children that I have read. And I want to thank you so much, Dr. Hasseltine, for being here today to talk about science as a superpower. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So I'm hugging your book because your book is very special in so many ways. I, oh, I want It's fantastic. I'm glad you like it. I, I want to talk about it through a few lens. And the first one is through that author lens. You know, you have peer review journals, so many of them out there. You write articles, you write other books for adults. Here we are writing for young readers. Tell me how all of that came to be for you. Had you always expected that in your life? Or is this another one of your many hats now that you can put on? Well, I've always uh, loved to teach. And I have always loved children. I would regard being a parent and raising children as really a high point of my life. I would, uh, it's really a wonderful thing. And now that I'm a grandfather, I really love uh, interacting uh, with my grandchildren. Uh, it's really important to communicate with young people. I think most adults, one, one thing I remembered as a kid is I kept thinking, I can think a lot better than these adults think I can. You know, when I'm, when you're, I, I remember very clearly when I was nine years old, I said to myself, remember when you get older, that a nine-year-old can think as well as an adult. They don't think you can, but you can. And so you I, remembered. 
Right? I, yeah, but be careful. Uh, so uh, uh, I always try to, you know, and I also think it's really important. It's, a, it's an age where people absorb things. They're like sponges. They just take in enormous amount of knowledge. And if you're going to help somebody find their way in life, find a career, a life that's really rewarding for them, it's important to be able to talk to people, young people, who are between, I would say the ages of eight and 15 is a really impressionable time to reach people. And so that's where I targeted this book. And you did so with such one relevance, connection of story and the power of science and how it connects all of us without boundary, without border, but the goodness of man and humanity. And you do it throughout each chapter. You just have that picture build to when you get to the end, it's about working together for the good of all, caring for all. But then you talk about, hey, here's the best way we can do these things. You need big confidence. You need you really need self-confidence. But one of the things that the reason I call science is a superpower is you have to think long and hard about another area where one person can make a difference to many, many millions of people's lives. In my life, and I think going forward, there'll be opportunities for one person to change the world in a positive way. When I was a kid, six, seven years old, polio was around, much like COVID. One person, Jonas Salk, changed my life. And he changed the life of everybody around the world. And before him was a man named John Enders who discovered the virus. People didn't know what it was. When I was even younger, I thought it was some terrible black thing that was gonna come and get me. Uh, and it might have, fortunately, it didn't. But one person can save the world. You know, there's another story toward the end of the book. Over a weekend, yes. a young black woman who's a PhD scientist at the National Institutes of Health, took the information from the Chinese who published a sequence of the SARS virus and made the Moderna vaccine. That vaccine is gonna save hundreds of millions of people's lives. It is a fantastic thing that she did. And there's a picture of her bumping elbows with the president of the United States in her laboratory. He came to her laboratory to thank her for what she did over that weekend in January of 2020, right after the virus had been, the, the disease had been discovered. So that's the kind of thing you can do if you're a scientist. You can make a difference to a, everybody's life. And that's a real superpower. And you build that from your young experiences, even talking about penicillin and then polio, like you've mentioned here. And then, you know, throughout your early childhood experiences, how you were shaped in that understanding that you did want to heal. Right. Well, that's important because, you know, I think it's important to have a purpose in life. Uh, you can find it in an age, any age, but I found it when I was very young. Uh, my mother was very, very sick when I was four, five, six, seven. And then she was sick again with something else a little bit later. And I really thought that was unfair. I really, as we do, we love our mothers. I had a special mother. And to see somebody suffer like that is, is just awful. And I felt totally helpless. And I thought, I don't like this feeling. I want to be able to do something about it. 
And the thing that's good about a purpose is you can use that, have that purpose drive you through many different careers. So some people said, well, how did you do it? You're a scientist, you're a businessman, you're a philanthropist, you work on this topic, you work on that topic. There's only one purpose, to make sure that I help as many people as possible stay healthy. That is the purpose. And you can be a university professor, you can be a businessman, you can be a philanthropist, you can be an advisor to government, you could be a senator. That could be your purpose. So it's really important. You know, there's a really uh, important book called A Purpose-Driven Life. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think that is a really important concept to have. I think he had, the, the man who wrote that book had a really important concept that you can express your personal purpose through many different channels in your life. You're not restricted to one, but you, it helps enormously to have a purpose. And I love, I want to read something from your book because I actually have this sticky noted. I love it. I have notes of things while I was reading. I was just, just so filled with such inspiring words from you that I couldn't wait to share with my children, my family, my students at school. I was like, oh. I've ever had. This is fantastic. I but I have to, I have to read this because, and I want to tell you the value of the words that you give to youth today. It is very powerful. Your contributions alone, of course, reading your story is inspiring and motivating. But then the words of wisdom that you impart in this book are for not just this place and this space that we're in, transitioning back as best as we can, but it's for generations to come. The words are powerful and can make truly an impact for youth as they are stepping into their dark moments or into their moments of question. And I want to read this. I love this. It says, developing confidence matters. Knowing your purpose matters. And if you don't know your purpose yet, the journey to finding it can be incredibly fun too. Because so many people will, you know, look at youth and say, do you have it all figured out yet? And many youth will be like, oh, like, wait, that's overwhelming. I don't know. Like, give me from today till tomorrow. Don't, you know, and you're saying to youth, it's okay. The bottom line is it's purpose. You will get there because purpose is also a journey. So embrace the journey. And then your work, you just keep going until you do. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean as simplistic, true. as simplistic, right? As the words sound, they can truly impact a young adult or a child developing into their self and identity. A place where, wow, I have all of these questions. I am inquisitive. I am creative. How can I now take all of these talents and special gifts that each child has and how can I harness them for the good of others? Right. But one thing that's really important that helped me, I think can help everyone, is it depends what your country wants to do, what your environment wants you to do. When I was a kid, Sputnik had gone up and we as Americans were worried. Are we falling behind the Russians? Will there be some calamity? What's going to happen to us technologically? So there's a huge effort to recruit scientists. And that's one of the purposes of this book. 
is to show people that science is a wonderful life for them. It opens so many doors. And I think again today with COVID, there's again an emphasis. We're seeing people value science, value medicine. And what that does, especially when money flows, because you need money to do almost anything, it opens doors. My path, I didn't open all the doors I walked through. They were open for me. And that's our responsibility as adults to open the doors for our children and the future generations that are gonna make a difference. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is to try to show children that there is a wonderful path forward for them. And I work as hard as I can with those people who are opening the doors that make that possible. But you're also giving them tools on how to have a support system around them, like you said, like a parent to help them, a mentor to help them, because you do talk about the power of mentorship in here, the power of connecting with others, sharing your thoughts and ideas. That way you're noticed. People hear your voice. They see that you have a passion for something. They see that you're working towards something. But you also give them the tools to learn how to investigate on their own. Right to become independent learners within this world and to be able to start making sense to what's happening with them. And, and I value that because you're giving so much advice, wisdom through storytelling, but you're also saying, hey, I did this. You could do this too. This right. is how That's I stood out. I thought, you know, throughout my life, people would say, aren't you jealous of this person getting that or the other thing? I, I would never feel that way. I'd say, oh, yes. you can do that? That's fantastic. Look what could happen. If you, if you do this, as, as soon as I learned that somebody could do something, I was very happy because it showed it could be done. And I figured if they could do it, I could do it too. And you also talk about competition and we understand that competition is real. And you talk about that with grant funding and research and, and all of that through this, but your theme throughout is that working together works. It Just is working sure. together. One very works. important piece of advice I would give all of my students is be cooperative, respect everybody in your field, even if they're your fiercest competitor. Because your fiercest competitor, especially in, in healthcare research, is trying to do the same thing you're doing. Yes. Okay. Maybe he's trying to beat you or she's trying to beat you, but we're both trying to help out humanity. So have respect for them. And remember, life is really long. It's longer than you think. And the people you meet, every part of your life are going to be with you your whole life. When you're young, you're going to think somebody 15 years older than you is really old. But when you're 70 and they're 85, they're still an important part of your life. And they've been an important part of your life for 50 years. So have respect, listen to them, help everybody you can along the way, and it will just enrich your life enormously. And it's a fulfilling life. And when there was a part in the book, when you talk about that, that people stay with you, because they are on this journey with you. And that means that they've impacted you in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. They've pushed you to a new level. They've helped you see a new perspective. They've helped you with your vision and your focus. And they become a part of your journey. And when you and I didn't highlight that because it stayed within my heart. I did mm -hmm. not have to go and say, oh, I got to remember. Because it is so true for all walks of life. It is. And uh, I've been really fortunate in my life 
to find mentors. And I've actually looked for mentors. And I think that's an important lesson for young people. Look for the best mentor you can find. I was fortunate that as a very young man, a mentor found me. He, uh, I guess I was uh, very inquisitive and active in my chemistry, chemistry class. class. <laughs> right out of a 3,000 person chemistry class. I went to a public university. There was a lot of people in that first year chemistry class. But after that, it taught me to look for the very best mentors. And I've had the good fortune to have four Nobel Prize mentors. People had won Nobel Prize. It took a personal interest in my work, teaching me and helping me along the way. And there's no better help than comes from that kind of uh, a mentor. Some of them are tough. I'm not saying that being menteed by a Nobel Prize winner is a, is a picnic. It, it can be really tough. They can be demanding beyond your imagination. But when you're done with it, like you going through boot camp, you can do things you couldn't do before. And that's where the growth and the reflection yes, comes is. in. And the reflection that you've had to take to get to this point through right. this book, I know that it brought you great joy. It, to be know, able to yeah. honor so many people. Right. I could feel the joy through the pages of your gratitude, your right. appreciation, and how you've honored scientists and players in your life and how they've impacted you personally and professionally. I could feel it all through this book. Well, you know, that's a great joy is to be giving, giving a little bit back to the people who helped you along the way, because you don't do it by yourself. You know, you do it with your mentors, you do it with your students who help you. And even now I have the great pleasure of uh, working with a, the, the group I interact with every day, I say their average age is about the, the ones that work with me on COVID are about uh, 25. And the group that works with me on my uh, advisory work around the world, the average age is maybe 30, 35, something like that. I work with people who are one and two generations, sometimes even three generations uh, younger than me. And it's, uh, it's just a fantastic experience to see their minds work. Uh, and to learn from them uh, what's important. And and, uh, and you just can continually learn from people. And it fuels the energy. And it, it, it fuels the response. And it helps clarify the vision. It's true. And it tells you what's relevant. Because when you listen to what, you know, for example, we're in the midst of COVID. We're not out of it. What are these people? I had a long discussion this morning, an hour discussion with my young team working on COVID. What does it mean that we're going through all this? What are the, the politics? What are the economics? What are the implications for their own lives? If we're gonna be in COVID for another couple of years, what does that mean for young people's lives? These people are at a critical stage of their life in their early twenties. That's where you form a lot of connections and structures that carry you through life. What does it mean for them that they're in this position now? So it's a very valuable thing to think about what, you know, you think about a young 22 year old man and woman right now, what they're going through, 24 year old, what your, what your son is going through. What are they thinking? How are they feeling? What do they see as their opportunities? Because they're really shaped by this environment. And it's really important to try to understand that 
to try to understand what we can do. One of the things I've just done is written another book called COVID-Related Traumatic Stress Disorder. We've just sent it off to the printers just this afternoon. Why is that important? Because if you don't name something, you can't do anything about it. You know, there's all these feelings and traumas that people are having. And it's, you know, before post-traumatic stress disorder was recognized in 1980, people called it shell shock. They called it uh, weakness, cowardice, you know, malingering. It wasn't any of those things. It was a very specific trauma of being in a war and having to recover from it. And we're all kind of in that state. And we need to recognize what it is. And we need our professions to begin to deal with it as a thing that we're all going through, young and old. But especially important for the young, because this is going to stay with them. And it's going to shape their lives in important ways. And so I think about that when I think about this book as the science as a superpower. What can we do with science? What can we do with medicine? What can we do with social work to help people who are in this situation and need, and, and need help, not just strength. Strength comes from people working together. And I think that that's one thing that uh, I'm, I try to do with this book and I try to do with some of the other things that I'm doing is help people more generally understand where we are and how to get out of it into a better place. And being mm -hmm. cognizant of that and naming that, but also having those discussions. We're doing that same kind of talk in the education world where we're sitting, you know, sitting around having meetings saying, you know, we're coming back in a month. We're reintroducing students back who have been home. Mm -hmm. What is this going to look like? But we have a chance to reimagine we have a chance to rebuild and now we have this new, what can this be? And so conversations even in education are well, having quite a support. Really yeah. in education. One of the things yeah. I talk about in this new book is I talk about the importance of uh, taking some of the burden off of teachers. Uh, they're going to have tra traumatized children and that is they have to deal with all the other complexities of teaching in this new environment. The schools have to bring in some more professional help to help the teachers for counseling. You know, the teachers are going to find kids who are really traumatized. Some of them are mildly traumatized and some of them may not even realize it. They just may, may be withdrawn or anxious or depressed. Well, we need to help our teachers help their children. And that's something I hope uh, our society will recognize. It isn't that teachers can't do it all by themselves. They're going to be juggling 100 balls at once, as you well know. Uh, and the schools are going to have to, and I hope the school boards and the, the schools and, and our government, the local governments and the state governments begin to understand that resources are going to be needed to help our teachers do their job. I love how in the book you also point to that as well about science happens together, but also science happens with government mm -hmm. and policy. And you discuss the importance of policy. Mm -hmm. And we all know that regardless of what field that 
that we're right. working with with uh, with health, with education, with. Well, I really appreciate that you picked that up from this book because yes. it's one of the things that took me a long time to understand. I understood about science and what it could do. I just learned what companies could do. It was a journey for me, but I understood that companies could do. But it took me longer to understand the importance of policy and why I've spent the last 15 years working with governments on improving policies. Because, you know, I, I think of one very simple example. The difference between China before Deng Xiaoping and after Deng Xiaoping is policy. And it's brought a billion people out of poverty into a life that you and I would recognize as a good middle-class life. It's changed that country, which, you know, was filled with bicycles and smokestacks and one level houses to the most modern cities in the world, policy. It's, you know, and policy governments are really powerful. We have governments for a reason to solve our problems. Well, when they work well, they can really change and bring entire generations into a new and better life, whether it's in health or education, et cetera. Policy is really important. And uh, that's, but it took me a while to understand that that is the key point. You know, you can find a medicine, you can show it cures a disease, but unless that medicine can get to the people, you might well not have discovered it. And if I felt- I'll uh, give you one example. I worked with a group to uh, find a drug, which we found and tested in India to cure, cure a disease called visceral leishmaniasis. What did we find? You couldn't deliver it because there was no healthcare system where the disease was. We could have not done all that work and been in the same place. So I that was an example that taught me and the foundation that helped me do that work that you really got to work on the policy level as well as the drug level, because they're both important in making sure everybody gets the health they deserve. Before you brought up that example, I was about to say, I could feel my pulse quicken when you were in India and noticing the cataract surgeries and you started questioning and your question marks just became insurmountable. They were just overwhelming to me as well. Like, why and how and look and this and now application and transfer back right. and i felt like that india that moment for you brought a realization that it's there but how are we delivering that and it is not equal access and it is not fair and right. it is about the bottom line and it is about the way they've always done this and that because it might work for particular groups, but not for all. Right. And I felt that within the book that you had that moment in India where you said there needs to be more. That's right. Let me just explain that to the people who are listening. I went to visit a, a hospital in southern India that was doing a couple of 100,000 cataracts a year at a cost of $35 per operation. And I happened to be there with one of America's leading cataract surgeons from Johns Hopkins University. And he said to me, you know, Bill, pity the poor guy that gets me. These guys do 50 a day. I do five a week. These guys really are really good at what they do. And the cost is phenomenal. 
And how did they do that? They did it because they set about to solve a major problem. The guy who founded it said, I want to make sure we can, we can cure avoidable blindness. And when you cure somebody, when you solve a cataract problem, it's not just letting them see, it's letting them work. It's letting them live. A lot of the work that you do is handwork. So when you see that the technologies we develop at, I don't know, $1,500 a piece can be done for $35 and can be done at a tremendous efficiency. It makes you wonder why we don't do it. What is it? It's, 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 it's sort of taking the same tools. It's almost like a Henry Ford who says, why are we building cars by hand when we can use a, uh, a, a, a assembly line? The whole idea of an assembly line is using the same tools, but using them in a different way. And I think that's the kind of thing that really struck me and started me thinking about how to make changes by advising governments. So I started studying and I, you know, I wrote a book on the, the best healthcare system I could find in the world at the time was in uh, Singapore. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book about an ambulance system where it works. It actually saves about a million lives a year in India. If we did it here, we'd save 200 times the cost of our ambulance service. I mean, and ambulance services there are free. And it's very funny if you're rich, you take your car you probably die in the car. If you're poor, you call this ambulance system and you're saved for free. I mean, it's really, it, it, it's amazing what technology and, and systems can do if you, if you get it right. Uh, these are really big changes. And then I wrote a, uh, a book about how a New York academic medical center can use the same tools, the same people it had and change it from going bankrupt to making a lot of money to being not very good at delivering quality and being the best in the world to doing research indifferently and becoming the best at what they do uh, and becoming from number 40 to number three and number one, number two medical school in the country. And patient-centered, patient-centered work. Yes. That's right, because they focus on the patient and they don't say, we're going to wait for the government to solve our problems. Okay, they'll wait forever. We better do it ourselves. I think those are the kinds of lessons that you, when you look at the, the really best, you see that there are people who look at the world a different way, whether it's through policy, whether it's through organization of a healthcare system, whether it's organization of an ambulance system. There are so many ways when you look at it from a different way and use the tools that are already there for you, you can make an enormous difference. And those are superpowers in themselves. Each one of the, the, the systems that I just mentioned the eye care system, there was one person with a vision. Restructuring the American healthcare system, one person with a vision. Restructuring the Singapore healthcare system, one person with a vision. That's what can happen. And anybody who's got the right skills and the right energy and vision can do that. You know, one thing I thought as a, uh, it takes a lot of work to do it, I have to say, but you can, if you've got the energy, each person, can warp the world around them. We have power. We're not powerless in this world. We can shape our world, not without expending a huge amount of your energy and working like a dog and getting exhausted, but you can change your world. And I've seen it happen. I've done it myself to some degree, and I've seen others do it to enormous degrees. So we are powerful in of ourselves if we are willing to unleash that power for good.
I'd like to read this quote too. It says, keep your eyes and ears wide open. Opportunity may be hard to spot sometimes, but once you do, seize it. And it's about opportunity, but it's about asking questions. Because when I think about that one person in eye care, one person at NYU, they had to have a moment where they had some internal dialogue going on and they had to be asking why, mm -hmm. why does it matter? Why, how they had to start wrestling with these essential questions. Mm -hmm. And then that sparks the vision. That's right. Science think, sparks. Science begins it's with science the is just a fantastic tool. The way I look at it, science is a tool. And it, it, it's like you pick up a screwdriver and it can be used to stab somebody, unfortunately. It can be used to open a can. You know, I have friends who've stirred their soup with a screwdriver, okay? And it's a tool, and science is a tool like that. Mm -hmm. You have to have an idea of what good it can do. And whether you're a doctor, a scientist, an engineer, figure out what it is that, that you can do. And I think it, you, I think you've come back to this asking questions all the time. It's really important. You know, one of the things that uh, a quote that struck me uh, is very powerful. It's attributed to Will Rogers, a comedian. He said, it isn't so much about what we don't know that's the problem. It's so much of what we know just ain't so. Okay? And <laughs> innovation begins at the border of the unknown. But to find that border isn't so easy. It's a fuzzy border. And if you're going to go into something new, you've got to go into an area where it really is unknown. And the scariest thing about the unknown that I can tell you is it's really unknown. If it's really unknown, you don't know what's there. You don't know what's going to come out the other end. All you know is where you want to come out. So it's scary it's not it's not uh it's not for the faint-hearted to go where you know to, to boldly go where no man has gone before to quote a a famous uh, tv program but if you do though and you are able to get there it's enormously rewarding because you know you've you know i was thinking last night as i think every night before i go to bed in the morning when i go up uh what is it that's given me joy what in the day that I've just had and the day that I'm looking forward to. And one of the things that gives you joy is to knowing you're going to leave this world a little bit better than you found it. I think that is a purpose. That itself is a purpose. Yes. No matter how you do it. It doesn't have to be a lot better. It just has to be a little, little better because you lived. And you've also, I want to, I want to quote you because, and I want to extend on that. But science leaps into the darkness, the very edge of human knowledge. And I love that quote because that can be, the darkness is scary, the yeah. darkness is unknown, but what you can find there can yeah. be that powerful mediator between the light and the dark. And science is the tool that can help you get to those places. Well, I'll tell you what it actually feels like. I think I describe it in the book. It feels like you're at the bottom of a coal mine. 
at the black face with no light and hardly any air and hot as heck, right? And you're sweating away, chipping at this black face. And you're hoping a diamond is going to pop out. <laughs> but you don't know where that diamond is. Uh, you know it's there going to be somewhere, but you don't know. You don't know if you're going to get, a, you know, like a, a microchip of a diamond or a big 100 carat diamond. You don't know what you're going to find uh, as you're down in that deep uh, well, because I said it before, the unknown is really unknown, but it's rewarding to try to, ex to, tr to explore it. But it is scary because there's no guarantee of success. But then when it could happen. Right. The what and, you learn, and that's what mentors teach you. Yes. You know, being with Nobel Prize winners and people who have solved really big problems. You know, I know somebody who solved how trees turn air and sunlight into wood. Okay, that's pretty good. All this nebulous stuff, all of a sudden you've got a tree. Well, you figured it out. I know was privileged to work with a man who figured out how we inherit, why we're like our parents or why a, why a petunia makes another petunia. Okay, he figured it out and gave us a key to, to improving our lives immensely. I know the man who figured out how to see color. So we can, you know, I know the people who, the two women who figured out how to change our genes. I mean, these are things that people can do. And when you see that and you learn that people do that, you get the confidence that you can do it too. And that's, that's what this book, important. yeah, that's what you've done in the book. You've dropped names. You've dropped your experience. And then you've dropped the mic and you're out. And at the end, it's like, wow, the legacy, the work, the commitment, the courageous, bold steps that have been before us and that are happening as we step that we may not even ever know or be able to recognize in our own small spaces, we can value the contribution. We can value the commitment of others that are walking along with us, even if they may be invisible mm -hmm. to us. That's right. Because the science is the thread. And that's why as a homeschool mom, I told you this before we started, my ninth grader, first book of his school year is going to be Science as a Superpower. Wow, that's, that's really like nice. Homeschool mom, this well, book. What, what I'm doing now with this book, and I think people who are listening should know this, I uh, make it a point to once or twice a week talk to classrooms of students ages seven to 15 to 16. And I take their questions and they have access to the book for free. All schools have access to this book for free. All you have to do is go to our website, say your teacher will get you the, the, the PDF or the ebook for free. And uh, this isn't about making money, it's about helping people become scientists, helping them find their way in life. And as I tell you, one of my big, greatest experiences recently is I was talking to a uh, class in a disadvantaged part of Oakland, California, and the kids, after an hour with me, sent me a book called The Life and Times of Dr. William Hazeltine, <laughs> illustrated, okay, illustrated. It was, it's fantastic. What a gift. I mean, I can't think of a gift I valued more in, you know, the last 20 years. It's a fantastic gift to have these kids take the time. Each of the 20 students did a page, right? And they're really funny. One of them, when, they, when I'm talking about uh, having ideas at 3 o'clock in the morning, has me with the light bulb at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I'll realize this, 
Get some rest, dude. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, because you do work really hard, Dr. Hasseltine. And I want to challenge you now uh, to work even harder for us uh, because I didn't tell you this at the beginning or uh, you might not know about me, but I did say I was an educator. You know, yep. I work in the schools. I work at a medical sciences high school for global health initiatives. Mm -hmm. So that is our magnet focus. And we wow. are, yes, we are a medical sciences, global health school. Wow. So when you said uh, I attend schools uh, virtually, we would love to invite you to high school because uh, uh, yours truly is the literacy coach too. And I set up all of our author events. <laughs> okay. uh, so I'd be happy to do that. It's not, it's, it'd be a joy to do that. But I let might me say be something you ought to connect to if you haven't already, which is uh, just before COVID shut us all down, I went to visit the uh, University of Global Health Equity. Paul Farmer uh, has uh, created that and done so much around the world. He's one of the heroes that's uh, in my book. There's a book about him called Mountains Beyond Mountains, uh, about what, and it tells you again what one person could do uh, to help many, many others. But the University of Global Health Equity uh, happens to be in a marvelous place. It's right at the border of Rwanda, yes. uh, Congo, and Uganda in the Virunga mountain range with the gorillas. And so I was there, I took an opportunity with my wife to go up into the, you know, we trekked up more than once to see the golden monkeys and the, the gorillas. There we are, and we got back close, I'm not joking, even closer. You know, they tell you when they come, move aside. And I had to actually literally jump aside as these massive gorillas come by their little tiny paths. I mean, it's really something. Um, but uh, the University of Global Health Equity would be a good connection to, for, for what you're doing. And see, look at you. You're connecting the dots yet again, looking for ways to spread that message of working together, working together. Now, I will tell you last night when we were having Chinese, we were talking about the book because I'm always sharing the books that I'm reading, my podcast with my family. So we're all sharing all about your work and the kids are excited and we're talking. And my son, he opens up his fortune cookie. He's like, oh, no, I hope it's not some really dark thing. I hope it's it's something that can really help. And he looks at it. And do you know what it said? It said working together works. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> he said, he said, wait, this is what I got. I knew this like in kindergarten. I said, just because you might have known that in kindergarten, people are still working on that concept. <laughs> we need that in every fortune cookie. And it was so simple yet powerful. Well, fortune cookies can be can be tricky. I was uh, on a job interview, my very first one of my very first job interviews, and I and he took me to a Chinese restaurant. I opened my cookie, and I said, "Wait, a better offer will come soon." <laughs> And it did. And I didn't go to that university. And for 20 years, they posted that on the chairman's door. I never took another candidate to a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And your storytelling, it is just so on point. It's so heartfelt. And when you tell stories throughout your book, not just about the superheroes, that have been in your life and who have impacted the field of science, but your own stories. I was laughing. I was, I was truly imagining that we were sitting here just like this 
having a conversation about what has mattered most to you, what matters most to humanity. And, and I just want to thank you for the way that you constructed your story. Because it needs to be on shelves in classrooms. Well, it needs really, to be in homeschool families. I really but, appreciate that. That's from, from somebody with your background to say that. I can't tell you. You know, when you're a writer, and you write, I think, when you're a writer, you don't know who's going to respond. You have an idea, but you really don't know. You're sort of throwing it out there into the darkness. And to have this kind of response for a writer is the best thing that can happen. It really is. I'm very, very grateful for you taking the time to, to speak to me about it and the enthusiasm you, you have for it. Because that is your fondest hope. My hope with this book is to help inspire young people to you know, help them in some way along their path. Uh, it's, life is not an easy path. It hasn't been for me, even though I've had great successes. It's not been easy. At, I would say at almost any stage, it's not been easy. Um, and uh, you need help. And any help that I can give to somebody along the way to help them, I'm really grateful for. And I really appreciate your, uh, your thoughts and, and your re reaction to this book. And it's, it's not just for education, for homeschool. I thought about your children and your grandchildren. And yes, they have your work. They have your body of work. But they have this as well, that then they can read to their grandchildren. Yeah, as they, yeah, it's one of, that's another reason. You know, I had a wonderful grandfather. Right after MIT, he went to the gold rush in Alaska. And he had all these adventures. And uh, he was in gunfights, and his best friend was shot dead next to him by the bad guy named Soapy Smith. And you can read about it in Alaskan history. He was a vigilante uh, trying to, you know, preserve, uh, you know, some law and order in, uh, in there. And he had this amazing life. He was, and I only knew little bits of it. He was, in World War I, he was uh, uh, General Pershing's aide de camp. Uh, he never talked about that. I found out many years later. He helped start ROTC and predicted World War II and played a role in that as well. He had a wonderful life, but I don't know most of it because he never wrote about it. But and your grandchildren. I want my grandchildren your to know who I was. And they will. Well, thank you. And I felt that. I felt the joy. And for many, many years to come, they will feel that joy. Well, and we'll be able to, to share nice that. So, yeah, I get all touchy. I get all, I get all emotional. I do not apologize. But I want to just tell you what just a great impact that your words can be. Not only for, for young people, but for moms like me who were reading and were saying, yeah, parallax vision, that's a really great way to talk about a superpower. Oh, yes, I really loved the parts where you said you can come at someone with an idea, you can challenge their thinking, but unless they're ready, unless they have that with you. Like, that's true. So true. You know, the way I would summarize it, I think it's true. It, it, that's, again, it took me a long time to learn that, that, that it, it didn't come easy that you can't convince anybody of anything. All you can do, they have to be 90%, 95% there. They have to know that they want what you have to offer. And I'll tell you what I learned in business. 
It's all, you know, business is, there's a really fundamental rule of business. A successful business is give people what they think they want. That's almost the same thing <laughs> when you're trying to convince somebody to do a business deal, right? That person has to know that, you know, if, if you come at it from out of the blue, they don't even know they want it, even if it is what will save them. If save their business, it'll help them. Unless they already are almost there, you can't, you know. It's, you know, I find that um, one of the fundamental aspects of humans is we're tool users, but we're tool users for a purpose. We have a purpose. And we're always looking for a way to execute that purpose. And if you hand somebody a tool that allows them to do what they want to do, what well, they'll take that tool. And it may be a tool you've created for an entirely different purpose. So we're purpose-driven creatures. You know, when you look at people that walking down the street, I look at people just walking around. You might think they're walking around randomly. No, everybody is on a journey. Whether they're crossing the street or going into a shop, they have a purpose of their life. Each one of those people has got a purpose to why they're doing what they're doing. And you make them, you give them something that lets them execute that purpose more easily and they'll do it. But it has to fit their purpose. And then you give them a book like this that helps them find the purpose through science or if maybe science might not be the way for them after reading this book, they can appreciate the world of science. Right. They and can experience it through words. You know, you've gotten so many points that I was hoping to convey with this book. You know, this book isn't only for people who would like to be scientists. <laughs> One of the things I did with this book and my biography, a longer version of this, uh, more detailed, is to show people that science is a humanistic activity. It's not divorced. It's not this world of people that are big brains sort of in a jar thinking about things. That isn't what life is about. That isn't what science is about. Science is about solving problems that we all have. It's how to understand our world. You know, one of the things we want to know is what is going on in this world? You know, it's just deep curiosity. We want to know. That's one thing science does. But it also solves a lot of practical issues, too and things that are really important to us, like how to keep my kids safe and healthy. Yes. You know, how do I protect the people who love me the most, I love the most. So all of that is, is what science does. And science can be directed, you know, people can dig deep, 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 just to, out of curiosity. And in that can pop a new tool out of tool. You know, the best example is again, these two young women who solved a problem of how bacteria protect themselves from viruses. Yet that tool is gonna to change, I guarantee you, it's gonna change the life of everybody on this planet because they were curious and dove deep, deep, deep into understanding how bacteria protect themselves. Who would have guessed that's gonna be one of the most fundamental tools about how we protect ourselves, but it is. Uh, and so, that's the other kind of thing that, that uh, can happen in science because we will provide tools that let people do what they want and realize their dreams. Well, I want to thank you so much for your work 
throughout over the years and all of your contributions and all of the impact that you've made. And you've said it today in our interview. You said in the book, oh, I know it's maybe a small. No, I believe it's a, a lot bigger. I just think you're a humble man who understands that you're just one part of the timeline. You're one part of the story. But I know that your work has been great and impactful and powerful for so many, many lives. And we'll continue to do that. So thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, keep doing the work that you're doing. And guys, now I'm asking you to go out and check out Dr. William A. Hasseltine's book, Science as a Superpower, My Lifelong Fight Against Disease and the Heroes Who Made It Possible. You need a copy for you. Get a copy for your homeschool family. Put a copy on your shelf. Teachers out there, this will be great reading for your classes, for small groups, just for independent reading, to pass along to students. I just really encourage you guys to take the time. Scientists, young scientists, and those who just love knowledge and have questions, pass along this book as a gift. Pass along this book to a friend. And I want to say thank you so much, Dr. Hasseltine, for being here. And they can connect with you on your website. I know you guys just type in Dr. Hasseltine's right. name. I'll have everything online for you guys in the description that you can go and get the copies of the book. You can reach out to him on his uh, homepage, on his website. But thank you so much for being here. It's truly been an honor for me to have spent this past hour with you. And I know our time is precious and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the time you took for me. Thank you very much. Okay. It's, it's an honor to be with you. All right, guys. We'll talk with you all later. Okay. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it. I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.